everybody. Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. This is the uh, new format where uh, we're just going to be talking about uh, what comes up and basically just talking about Bible prophecy and related stuff. Uh, I'm here with uh, Bob McLaurin. Is that how you pronounce it? Got it. He does the uh, Berean Bible Prophecy Podcast, which I encourage everybody to go check out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Bob, uh, do you just want to jump right into it? Maybe you should just give a quick uh, quick background about where you're coming from and all this stuff. Whew. Well, you know, why does anybody, why do you start a podcast? I certainly didn't think I <laughs> knew it all. Uh, and in fact, really, the goal of my podcast was to be an aggregator of information because I, at least in the prophecy realm, aside from regular Bible study, in prophecy, I see myself more as a validator. Like I will, I'll listen to anybody as long as they've got a decent argument to support what they've got. Then I'm going to go and examine it. Uh, I'm not going to dig in and do the research to the level they've done. But what I would do is look at their assumptions. Are they, do they seem legit? And then I would pick them apart. You know, is this a valid jumping off point if, or not, you know, rather than somebody just jumping in with these assumptions, which unfortunately 90% of the stuff out there is not based on anything that you could really stand on if it was really critically examined. So what I wanted to do is, or because of that, I consume tons of material that comes from all over the web. And uh, again, I'm willing to listen to anything, anybody, until I see that it's not valid, kick it out and just aggregate all that information, finding pieces of the puzzle that I thought were legit and then just present that kind of, kind of hoping to do the work for other people and just say, Hey, look, I found these pieces of the puzzle. Uh, and not necessarily trying to form a conclusion because I scold people all the time, a one way conversation of, you know, quit trying to make a conclusion before you know all the, the pieces and, uh, yeah, we see it all the time. But anyway, that's where I, that's why I got into it. Uh, I didn't see that out there. I saw the the opposite of people, you know, Trump's the Antichrist, Pope's the Antichrist, you know, and just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was still legit truth in little bitty niches of what they're talking about. And that's where I wanted to pick the meat off the bones and then throw the rest away. Yeah, exactly the phrase I was looking for there. And that's what I get the sense of with your podcast is that you, you rarely make solid, uh, you know, declarations about anything. You're, you're, you're just uh, talking through the things that you have been uh, seeing and, and whatnot. Um, and I like that. That's a, and it's just like you said, there's not, just not a lot out there on that. So that's why, uh, we're doing this to hopefully be the kind of uh, podcast that people uh, are looking for that that want that. So and um, I, I changed my mind on the witnesses, the two witnesses timing. I changed it during the podcast. So oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well let's that's, talk about that. Let's actually talk about that because uh, there is a lot of different arguments, and I'm not um, entirely sure. My my thinking of it right now, and feel free to correct me, is that I feel like they 
uh, at least my last reading of it, was that their death is at the midpoint. But I, I have nothing, I could be easily swayed one way or another. So and talk me through it. I was exactly there because to me, and I, I'll always say, I want this to be true. Or I, or I want it to unfold this way because it makes the most sense based on all the other pieces. Uh, because in my head, I just naturally see the witnesses testifying the first three and a half years against Israel, against their soon-to-be revealed uh, hero. And to me, it just makes natural sense that they're taken out of the way at the midpoint, and then the tribulation war against the saints begins. As I started looking at the uh, sequence of things, I desperately wanted to see the seals and bowls and trumpets kind of overlay each other, because again, that's what looks most legit. But there were just certain connections. I think it's Rome, uh, Revelation 8 and a couple other places where it says this and then that. And I was just like, ah, oh. I mean, it really just presented a sequential unfolding rather than a parallel unfolding of things. And bottom line was, I think I saw somewhere where Romans 11, uh, Roman, Revelation 11, where the witnesses are spoken of. Let me, uh, let me read the passage the here blood. so we'll have it, okay. so can have it okay. in context. Uh, then I was given a, a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for, his, uh, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Um, uh, and I was granted authority... And, and <clears throat> And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut up the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the, of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Some uh, from the people peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people who were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God in heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is to come soon. The seventh woe begins after that. So this, so you're saying, 
I see. The so, woe is what is the only thing that hinges. Otherwise, I want to be at the midpoint. The and I couldn't point. get past that timing. Right. I was going to 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 loudly and uh, confidently proclaim to you that uh, <laughs> that Revelation eleven is uh, a a biographical passage in between the sixth and seventh trumpet, like all the other in between the sixth and seventh whatever. But you're right. The the woe is a uh, is a tough thing to get around. Um, so and my statement was, I am willing to be convinced otherwise. I just in my own study. So that stake is in sand. It, it can be yanked up immediately. Right. And I guess one of the things with the two witnesses for me is that I don't have any, uh, I don't have any other things hinging on this. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I have a picture in my mind of how it's supposed to go, but it, this really isn't contingent upon anything else. The, the, also the great earthquake where a 10th of the city fell, that's a little, you, you don't necessarily want to connect that with like the earthquake mystery Babylon following that's different sort of stuff. So, so yeah, I have to really look at this again. I know that uh, uh, a lot of, well, maybe not a lot as much as I'd want, but some ink has been spilled on the, on the woes being, well, how do you understand the woes? Talk, talk me through that. Whew, uh, and I, I know I, I just, I'm catching you cold on all this stuff, you know, I, so, so if you feel like, Hey, that's something I want to look into. I don't, I don't know that I'm, I certainly don't know what all has been written about them. Uh, I will say when I was in, when I was looking at all that, just some, some things that pushed me, pushed that towards the end, because at one point I was like, there's just not enough time to get all this stuff in if it's at the end of the week. And what I did come to a reality was, you know, when water turns to blood and all that kind of stuff, people aren't going to last. They're certainly not going to go to war for years or months uh, without, you know, being able to drink water or something. So uh, it just... It, it reduced that timing down to just a matter of weeks or maybe a month uh, uh, towards the end of the week. So I was not I was not as stressed as trying to jam it all in at the end. Well, I mean, it, it is it's important. I think a lot of these things for me. Um, I'm trying to develop a picture of what the world is looking like, and it does help for that because if there are people this would if and i need to look at this because it doesn't i still don't basically i don't understand the woes well enough to talk about it now so it's something i'm gonna to have to go look at uh because i i was under the impression actually that the woes were actually a, the last what three bowls or something like that yeah I, I thought that's what was going on but that's in context here this is before the seventh trumpet the next verse after the two witnesses bit here in revelation 11 in verse 15 begins the seventh trumpet then the yeah. seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying and so we know because the the seventh trumpet is the introduction of the bowls that the woe there isn't the same woe associated with the bowls unless i'm missing that I, I, i'm probably missing something but the other thing in terms of the picture and trying to develop would be that if these uh people are rejoicing at the end of the 70th week of daniel three and a half years at the end so right there sort of 30 days before armageddon kind of thing 
um, then which would I think which would, would be the case if it was 1,260 days, right? We've still got that 30-day period before presumably Armageddon was, and then the 45 days after that. But um, so you've got people giving gifts, rejoicing in Jerusalem because of the death of the two witnesses. Uh, at that point, again, as you say, when there's no water to drink and and the sun's been scorching them and basically the the wrath of God, at least the first seven trumpets have been pouring out. And while it's true that the uh, trumpets aren't as severe as the bulls, it's pretty severe stuff. Uh, uh, The fifth trumpet, for example, was the demon scorpions uh, for five months tormenting them. So it's not exactly been great, but I also would say there might be sort of a picture of, of, of a situation where they might be able to give presence even then, you know, there, there might be a semblance of, of normalcy uh, among that. I'm sure they'll have an explanation. Actually, I don't know if they will have an explanation for it as is, as is in, in terms of explaining it away, explaining it away. I think I almost get the sense that they all know it's God at that point, but are just rebellious anyway. But again, I could take it or leave and it. Let's see. This would have, if this isn't the midpoint, then they would have already been given over to a deception so that pretty much no truth matters anymore at that point. They're just mm-hmm. uh, fist in the air at God. So. Right. And, it, and I think the fist in the air can be, is not mutually, mutually exclusive to uh, a deception that the Antichrist is in fact God uh, or that, that, you know, that God, that the Antichrist might have a picture of, God that is not the God that they understand it. They understand him as God and, and, and God is something else or the usurper or something else like that. You know, they, they could, the, the deception could have something like that. He's certainly speaking blasphemies against God. So whatever the, the, the whatever line he's selling is probably, uh, you know, the, the good thing you brought up earlier was the timing really doesn't impact anything mm-hmm. of when this occurs. What I want to go back and look at is look at it as if it was the midpoint again and see what the woes, where they line up at that point with other things that are happening around the midpoint, if you get what I'm saying. because You're right. I, I think that it has to be a study on the woes. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So I need to know what that is. And quite frankly, I don't know what it is. So at this point... Uh, I'll just, I'll just do a study on it. You know, I'm sure some listeners will do that as well. You know, I I wanted to get into some things. Uh, I know you've talked about a lot of the on the ground kind of things that I have, and I haven't really got into a lot of that on on my podcast. Maybe that's a good thing to do as well, which is, you know, the world's going crazy. All kind of crazy stuff is happening. I didn't Uh, intend to get into that. I I didn't want to be the Hal Lindsey podcast where every week it's like, you know, so-and-so there's a war over oil and, you know, Oh, sure. Sure. You know, but I want to, I kind of want to do that with you at least. And I'm going to try to do more, you know, talk to more people and stuff, but you know, I know that you, you have thoughts and are passionate about that topic as well. And that's important to me too. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about most of the day, just because I listen to it. So many podcasts and whatnot. Um, But uh, so one thing I was thinking about today was the utter kind of like the impasse, the gulf between the two sides is not, is not, I can't think of a single way to reconcile that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, there's no, I mean, that, that level of divide must come together in a fight. It must, that fight must 
just run its course in order for, I don't see any other possibility of reconciliation between uh-huh. the two sides. And then of course the media is just pouring gasoline on everything yeah. that they possibly can. So, so until the, something is done with the media, you'll never have the option to have any kind of reconciliation. You know, even in, in a perfect world with truth, yeah. where truth was sold uh, uh, cheaply, then uh, that there might be a possibility of reconciliation, but not in this climate with the big tech and the, and everybody in holding hands saying, Hey, let's spark ourselves a revolution. So where do you see uh, logically this, this going, what's your best guess for, for what's happening here? Well, my last podcast, I started out just saying, I, I spent a couple of days just really grieving internally at the divide because I saw the same words being used by, you know, everybody thinks they've got the truth. I think we have more evidence of that uh, than the left, but they use the same exact arguments against us. Like they don't, they don't listen to anybody's arguments. I'm like, yes, I do. And you're completely whiffing on it. So, uh, when you've got a mindset like that, truth is irrelevant. I mean, they they just don't want to hear it. And one of the things I've tried to bring up in earlier episodes is it applies across the board. It's not just biblical truth or whatever. I mean, it's everything, global warming. And, you know, you're, you know, believe the science. And I'm like, yes, do look at it. See, it's idiotic, but it's, it's medicine. It's it's uh, geoscience. It is politics. It is Bible. You know, it is it is a total uh, pushback on or denial of what's right in their face. And so, you know, one of my notes here that. I was really debating whether to go into this in my next episode, but was just, what if nothing happens in October, November, and December? You know, what if, what if it's just crickets? And, you know, you've touched a little bit on it. Like, you know, could be just Dana Coverstone's flesh speaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe either of these cases. I mean, I, I do think he is sincere. I don't see how what we expect to happen doesn't happen right now. Mm-hmm. In fact, today the news drops have been ramped up so much that I fully expect riots and, you know, whoever's controlling the levers, they're, you know, time to time to turn the knobs up on the heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think we should talk about Danny Coverstone because I, wa- I still watch Danny Coverstone's um, uh, videos. And yeah. I, again, I, I think I'm a little conflicted on what to do about it. Um, Like I've said before, on the one hand, I totally think that all the stuff he's said uh, is stuff that, you know, on the one hand, I would almost guarantee will happen. You know, I can't think of a scenario where it won't happen. And that's been sort of transparent for a while. I think that the very nature of it going viral makes me think of it in terms of its usefulness. for what it is as well. So for example, he put out a thing the other day about his sort of vision of 
the Statue of Liberty yeah. falling and dying. And the, the moral of the story, essentially, is America was going away. And, you know, he is clearly, you know, a very patriot type, type guy and all the rest of it. I think even just that message that America actually is going to die is probably revolutionary for a lot of people. And the fact that it's viral and just that message alone prepares people's hearts. Um, in other words, I'm trying to say that I don't, I can envision at least God using this, if not God having his hand, uh, you know, entirely as, as, as advertised as it were. Yeah. Um, one of the things I watched today, for example, um, kind of gave me a little more clarity and some possibilities for, for what, uh, you know, might be going on. He talked a little bit about, about what he kind of envisions about what it all means, his visions and things like that. And, and, um, you could tell that he, and when he, I think he would freely admit this, that he's making some pretty general big interpretations of, in terms of what these visions mean about the end times or whatever, because they never were explicitly about the end times. Yeah. Um, they were just, Hey, really terrible stuff is going to be coming, prepare, get food, uh, you know, whatever. And then at least in the video that I watched today, he sort of makes it the case that he, he sort of assumes that all that bad stuff must be the end times like that wasn't a part of it, but he, and I can't remember how he said it, but it was something to the effect of like, I actually think I might have written down the, the statement he said, um, uh, any American that doesn't see something seriously want, okay, so he pre prefaces this by saying something like, uh, you know, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy or whatever, but, you know, I don't know, I could be wrong about all that, but he's trying to say that, that all this stuff coming means that the time is short and he's sort of riffing here on his own sort of interpretation of it and that's when he says any american that doesn't see something seriously wrong with our country you know and and trying to say it like ergo we're in the end times but those two things are not yeah the same thing yeah. you know the country the republic falls americans not only america's as a country not only dies but christian americans begin to be brutally persecuted is not evidence of the end times. Yeah. And I think that that is the, the, the gulf between a lot of this stuff, you know? Um, so anyway, go ahead. In fact, I think the only thing prior, and I think it may have been a second or third video that he even touches on, he doesn't call it Bible prophecy, but at the very end, he just quickly says, and then I saw a billboard that said Passover 2021, big things coming. And I, that's kind of when I went, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where I, you know, up, like you said, up until now, there was really nothing related to prophecy at all. It was just like, here's what's happening in the three next three months. And, at, the, uh, at the end of the day, I'm still net positive. I'm, I'm a, a bullish uh, on uh, Danny Coverstone in that I believe that he's <laughs> genuine. Uh, and I think that that's true. I believe that he genuinely doesn't want the, all the stuff that's come as a result of it. I, was, I did read him a little bit wrong at first in that I didn't think he was you know, super kind of 
Pentecost. I don't think he's super, super Pentecostal, which is not yeah. a bad thing in my mind. I'm not saying that, oh, that therefore you can't. I think there's sort of a, there's always a good version and a bad version of everything. And I go to a church that really leans, that wants to lean more toward, I go to a Calvary Chapel and Calvary Chapels are a little all over the board with that. I mean, they're all believe uh, certainly uh, in our Pentecostalism to a certain degree, you know, sort of early church of God leanings, but each it's up to each church to sort of how much they want to sort of emphasize it or whatever. And ours wants to emphasize it more, but anyway, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that my initial take on him was that he wasn't the kind of guy to be like, you know, the typical very uh, severe Pentecostals that would be like, I had a dream, yeah. I had a dream, I had a prophecy, I had a prophecy. It's just sort of that, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, net positive, if this stuff that we just see is going to happen, the, 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 not just riots, but something more severe, uh, then Americans do, in fact, need to prepare. This was a wonderful way to get a lot of Christians to wake yeah. up. And I think it's a good thing. Now, let's talk about that, though. What do you think in terms of the what specific things are, are, do you think is the likelihood of between, like, I don't know, what do you envision happening here in November or on the lead up to it? Well, I've, I see enough commotion from other, uh, I'll just call it media. I don't know how to describe it from other sources that I think I, I said in one, one podcast back that I actually found another pastor who had a very short, very, uh, it would overlay quite well, but it, you could tell based on the way he presented it, he, I don't think he had any clue who Dana Coverstone was. And he, again, he had the same kind of posture as far as uh, authenticity. He didn't seem to be very high, hyperbolic and all that. He was extremely distressed by it, by what he saw. And uh, it was kind of a secondary news station telling a report of the same thing they had seen, but his was a much smaller picture. Uh, one dream, and uh, I don't want to. I don't want to overuse the word confirm. You know what I mean? But uh, definitely, it was another point of or perspective that showed the same thing. And then I see other people that are just calling things out that don't even believe in you know, I better get prepared and all that kind of stuff. And they're throwing stuff out like, dude, you better get ready. I mean, there is, it's almost like I see pieces of the puzzle generating the cause and effect that would get us into that situation. I mean, we're already in the situation, but the cause and effect that would trigger certain things that Dana Coverstone's talking about, like, investigations, uh, riots, the mentality of a mob that refuses truth, like even, you know, what we saw last night, I mean, they released all the details of the latest, you know, one of the latest in the news of a shooting, completely justified, terrible tragedy, and yet people are just like, nope, not having it, we're going to mm -hmm. react against it, and, uh, so there's all that stuff going on. 
Right. And Ugh. I mean, uh, on the one hand, you've got, I think the, 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 the true thing is just out the window that that is something I've, I've kind of come to peace with and have, have been much better for it is that uh, in the, in a climate where, I mean, just pe just, just arguments with people that feel this way. And I think in part, it's a lot, it's like the argument of two different news feeds. Uh, we're living in two different news feed worlds. And um, I think it's developed our brains and I know certainly my newsfeed now it's harder for a conservative to, to, to get there uh, because they have to dodge so much of the other stuff. I mean, it's very ubiquitous, uh, but even then, so for example, my Twitter feed is all stuff I agree with. Nothing. I don't agree with even the people that I'm, you know, following on Twitter. I don't really see their stuff in my feed. It's just agree with stuff. And I'm sure it's much easier for somebody on the other side to, only always see because most of the major platforms uh, will are, are doing that now and if you're a leftist you're, you're really in a good position because they do that anyway um, it, you know whether they know your algorithm or not so we're living in two different truth lands uh, I, I pray I, my, my my focus has mostly been on the people that uh, the Christians that I know are love the Lord and can can uh, hear arguments. So that's a ministry that's that I like to focus on is, is for them. And I certainly preach the gospel as much as I can and that kind of things too. I think the gospel is uh, its own sort of truth that has its own sort of power. Uh, so I like that over and above any kind of other political arguments. Or yeah. Whatever. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I haven't spent any time or really the, the two or three liberals that I know, and you know, and, interact with enough i don't argue with them it's just pointless well i guess I, I say that to say that whatever is going to happen is going to happen their, their anger is going to be uh, uh there's no truth there's no like hey but brianna taylor actually you know or she was the boyfriend shot first and she actually you know you that it doesn't yeah. matter they, they you can tell them and they still won't care because at this point yeah. there's too much money there's too much spiritual stuff on the other side of this, this train is moving and ain't nothing going to stop it. It's going to, it's going to go to its conclusion, whatever that is. Yeah. I had a, I had a comical laugh a couple of weeks ago. I was in the middle of this, just kind of like, Oh gosh, it, nobody, you know, just what you said about the truth is irrelevant at this point, but I may, it made me think, the Antichrist isn't even going to have to break a sweat. I mean, if people are already this opposed to the truth and they're, they deny it that easily, he's got a cakewalk ahead of him, you know, as far as convincing people. Uh, you know, it's a joke, but uh, well, it's still I mean, shocking how much people will accept right in their face and go, don't believe that. Sure. Well, I actually think that's a good, an interesting argument because, of course, my view is not that, um, I think it's less about sort of being just plain anti-God or atheist or secular humanist or any of those things that people will, will believe. I think it, it really just comes down to anything that's not God in whatever way and form it takes. It can be, uh, in other words, uh, they would be likely to believe some clever religion that wasn't God as much religion as, you know, it's not, it's not religion that they hate. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll easily believe another religion. 
It's just not God, not the Bible. That's what it really comes down to. Anyway, um, let's, let's, I want to shift gears back into Bible prophecy a little bit, but I, I right. maybe first before I do that, let's talk about in light, uh, just sort of kind of transitioning from the two topics. What do you do in terms of, uh, of preparation, anything you would recommend or, or whatever? I've been doing anything interesting with that. I know uh, I've been definitely making some trips to Costco and, and getting some yeah. 25 pound bags of rice and mylar bags and all that kind of stuff. And, all kinds of yeah. stuff. So what were you at with that? I did that. Uh, you know, I've bought rice and beans and things, things we will eat anyway, and we'll just cycle through it and replace it as we eat it, you know, until we, till the source dries up. But, uh, uh, same thing. I've, I've never owned a generator in my life until like a month ago, went to Sam's and, bought a small one, not trying to run my house, just, mm, mm-hmm, uh, and I'm, and I still have a mindset of at some point, you know, you might get flushed out of your home. And, you know, at that point, yeah, uh, I, I say you can't prepare for everything, but I certainly think about everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also stress for the people in your circle that, won't hear the truth right now to prepare mainly your kids or your parents or whatever prepare on their behalf. And so, uh, we had done some prep a couple of weeks ago, uh, specifically food to shore that up. And I'd gone on YouTube and trying to find out, you know, how much, how much, how long will 25 pounds of rice? Cause you can buy a block for like 15 bucks. It's dirt cheap. Uh, how long will that last a person? And somebody said, well, last like a year, 30 pounds of rice will last one person a year. I have no idea what that looks like for a meal. Yeah, sure. I went out and I bought enough for all my kids, us, grandparents and things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that I don't, we're not in this argument of you need to go do something now. And right. But it's mitigating that 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 time of uh, of you know it's still you still might run out of a, a food but it'll be later than everybody you'll have you'll yeah. be rationally thinking about what to do next you know and i do i do believe that god will provide but i also believe that he's been gracious to warn us mm-hmm. and i believe this is all true uh to prepare on our you know on our behalf and others so oh. Yeah, I'm I'm quite sure that what's going to happen is it's all going to go down, and God's going to be like, "Hey, why don't you give all that food to that uh, church?" Yeah. <laughs> all but right. let me tell you, let me tell you, he something I wrote in the last couple of years. I I, I write everything I write. It's to myself. It, it wasn't for anybody's public, you know, public consumption. And I had this thing I put together. It's a little PowerPoint thing again for me, and it was called. 10 mind-blowing truths that Christians don't believe, or it's something to that effect. I was really poking the bear. And uh, one of those is God will never ask you, God will never require anything of you that he doesn't provide for you or prepare within you. And this is the same kind of thing. If he's asking you to make a sacrifice, he's already motivated your heart to prepare and 
Mm-hmm. It's his works through us. Uh, we certainly have a part in it, but uh, he gets his way, and it's awful good when you know it and you're walking in it versus, you know, actively opposing it. So Sure. Yeah. Okay. I totally agree. Um, all right. So let's shift gears back into Bible prophecy and say, um, so where where do you think we are on this? So, or do you you're you're out there watching? What what are you watching for? And do you see any of it? Well, one of the things that really woke me up was the uh, September twenty third, twenty seventeen sign. Right. I was not looking for and all that water. How do you say anything? Waters. Nelson, is it Walters or Waters? Something like yeah. that. I actually. I actually saw it on YouTube about six months prior. And then I think he did a video like a year late, sometime okay. around it. But sure, sure. anyway, yeah, okay. that was one of those things. I pulled up Stellarium, installed it. I looked at it. I looked at all the arguments for and against and said, okay, that, that looks absolutely legit. Now, what I would, I always prefaced it with, this is not a rapture sign. And yet there were guys out there going, this is it, pack your bags, you know? Right. And said, no, no. But to me, I just saw it as a sign post on the highway. Well, before, before we go any further, let me uh, okay. sort of briefly just say what that is. It, it, it's a very interesting sign in the constellations, uh, the Vir- Virgo, you have uh, uh, really some movements that only happen like, very, very rarely, and it's just this incredibly interesting parallel to Revelation chapter 12, uh, where the woman sees stars in her head, and da da da, all this, this uh, very interesting thing. If you haven't seen it, it's very interesting. Now, one of the one things I wanted to mention, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, uh, Mike Heiser did a thing yep. where he shows essentially, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, let me know that exact same sequence or very similar to the same sequence which happens uh which happened in uh uh uh, four four or six bc somewhere yeah something like this very very near the birth of christ the actual birth of christ that we don't actually think the birth of christ was zero a.d december 25th it was most likely in the springtime and this may that when this sign happened might be the very same thing that the magi were in fact following to the birth of Christ Heiser goes through the whole thing of following the star from the east and blah 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 blah. So, it, it, is it similar enough to where we can say, well, that's just what that is? It, we're, we're seeing sort of a shadow of it later because it would it would necessarily have to occur again if it's a part of the solar system. But I mean, I'm open to it, but just just making sure you. Have Here, here's what I saw on it because, uh, you know, I was digging in to see it and. It, it only occurs like twice in the last 250. That, I mean, I saw somebody take Stellarium back to 100,000 years ago or whatever it was. And uh, assuming everything was on the same time model that we see today, and uh, it only occurred twice in 100,000 years, and that was at the birth of Christ and three years ago, three and a half years ago. So, and they were very similar, but not the same. And do you remember that, what it was that was different? 
Uh, I don't, but I could, I can look that up for you. But to me, it even excited me more like, yeah, this, I think we're onto something here. Uh, also the comet, I don't know if you heard about that. The, uh, this was in the 2017 variation, but there was a comet that only passes through earth once every hundred thousand years or whatever. And it was called the, it was nicknamed the insemination comet. And it actually passed through Virgo nine months prior to September 23rd. And it passed through her loins or whatever. And then Jupiter stays there for like nine months. Uh, retrograding is the word I heard used. And then uh, is birthed at... Uh, September 23rd, 2017, none of that happened at the birth of Christ, the, the 4 BC version. It had the sun at the head and the moon at her feet and all that kind of stuff and the other thing, but it didn't have the, uh, the retrograding of Jupiter in, the Vir in Virgo and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And I, I should stop you there too and, and say for the listeners too, I mean, I know it sounds odd, but again, you've got uh, the creation of the stars being said that they were for signs and for seasons. That was their, essentially one of their great purposes. So it's a, uh, and of course you could say, well, you've got the celestial disturbance sign, which is uh, specifically and unambiguously a sign uh, in the, as a herald of the day of the Lord. But that doesn't mean uh, that there are, aren't others. In fact, obviously there was one at the birth of Christ that the Magi did in fact follow. So, so yeah. And I'm sure I could think of other examples if I thought about it, but, um, so anyway, so, so this happened in, in, the, in seven, 2017. Now, let me add, okay. because you asked what kind of got me going, because I always advertise, there's not a single thing that we can stand on and go, yep, this is it. Not yet, anyway. Uh, to me, it was a, you know, half a dozen things kind of pointing in the direction. And again, you know, I became aware four or five years ago of the thousand years being a day and we're kind of in the 6,000 year end time frame. And so that was, I started looking at some guys numbers there to see, you know, and there, there's too much slop in the numbers to really be definitive there. But, you know, I thought we were pretty close. We were in the ballpark, but, uh, there was that. Uh, there was also also some things about Purim that I'd looked at, and again, it was so loose. I mean, I was not I was not counting on this at all. But I was thinking, you know, I mean, I'm just keeping an eye on 2021. Now this was like 2016, 2017 when I was thinking about 2021 as a potential beginning of the 70th week and and uh, just privately looking at it. And then all this stuff kind of starts popping up. And then we see just a confluence of lawlessness breaking out, even though it's not, I don't believe it was the time frame that Christ is describing in the Olivet Discourse. It's kind of a preview mm -hmm. of what's coming. Uh, things like that. And, and let me throw out here, just yesterday, 
the the Passover 2021 that Dana Coverstone mentioned, I I was I kind of perked up because uh, I went to to timeanddeaf.com and I looked at September 23rd, 2017. I wanted to know what the time difference was between Passover 2021 and the Revelation 12 sign, just for kicks. You know, it doesn't mean anything, but just for kicks. So I put in there uh, September 23rd, 2017, plus 1,260 days. Yeah, that's a number we hear a lot. Not a match. Not a match for Passover 2021. I put in 1290. Bingo, direct match for Passover 2021. I don't know what that means, but it's just there in my back pocket. Doesn't mean anything right now, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, and, a lot, and a lot, I mean, I don't know if that works in that scenario, but a lot of those situations do tend to work if you're dealing with a lunar calendar and, and, and you plugging in numbers that are yeah. obviously based on a lunar calendar, especially with the, uh, with the feast days, because they are, uh, you know, well, you've got different calendars being used in different situations, but you know what I mean? So I, it could be false positive. It could be something, right? Yeah. Uh, but what I'm hearing basically too is, is a lot of, you know, you as a, a person who knows the signs that Jesus told us to watch for and believes that uh, those are in fact for us to watch for. Um, and again, know. I went through 20 years of, you know, I, as a kid, I read late great planet earth, whatever. And then in the early nineties, whenever it was, I found the uh, Marvin hunt book mm. and went down that path. And I believed what he was saying, but there were still areas that, for whatever reason, I don't think it was communicated very clearly. Uh, that's why I think in one of my episodes I said, I think you had presented it better than anybody to date as far as here's the sequence, here's why, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so really for the last 20 years, I just kind of parked my expectancy. I was looking, but I wasn't looking because there just weren't certain things happening yet. And, mm -hmm. and this kind of piqued my interest. And, you know, now it's like, again, we're not 70th week, maybe 20 years from now, but right. three months is our concern right now. Well, I think that even if we, uh, so first of all, I would say a lot of the things that we can say, and kind of like I was talking about with David, Dana Coverstone was saying, well, look, America is doing this, surely it must be. And we could even go, I would say, even if we saw, some very clear evidence that the birth pains were happening. And that's difficult because the birth pains are very general. Yeah. But I actually think that they're not, I, I, my position currently is that the birth pains are, do start with the beginning of the seal. And that the wars and rumors of wars is actually a reference to Daniel 11, 40 through 45. The only time that word rumors is used is when the Antichrist in the, context of a war hears of a rumor of war and goes to fight it and the the kings of the east or whatever and annihilate annihilates them but i would say even if we saw the birth pains and we were relatively sure of that happening or if we saw a covenant being made with many even like the, even if we saw the specific stuff we'd still have to come to the conclusion i think the bible sort of commands us to say none of those things you can hang your hat on you could get you could get a covenant made with many wrong. There's only one verse yeah. in the Bible on that. 
you, 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 a covenant made with many is general. And even if it's not until the sacrifices, what the rest of that verse is, but in the middle of the week, he stops the sacrifices. What yeah. we know is the daily sacrifice. So we, that therefore, because of in other places in Daniel and whatever. So, so now we know that sacrifices have to be in a temple mount, meaning that there has to be a temple. There's a lot of those kind of things. My point is, is that the revealing of the Antichrist at the midpoint really is my reading of everything is so central to that. It's like, this is when you know this is the Antichrist. This is the only time that's going to happen. And when a guy sits in the temple declaring himself to be God, then you know it's your guy. Everybody run. Now it's all beginning. And that's why so much of the end time, the, the Bible is about the end time. So I, I, I understand the counter argument to that is, well, you need to be watching for the stuff. And I agree with that. But, um, you know, so much of what he told us to watch for is like post midpoint. <laughs> and, and well, and, and anyway, and any, and what we know of before then is false Christ wars and rumors, of wars, false prophets, and so, so on and so forth. Let me ask you this. We talked about what, um, what that first three and a half years looks like. Well, we didn't know. We talked about what we were talking about earlier. Let me ask you that question. What do you see the first three and a half years looking like? I know this is going to be heavily laden with speculation because of the things that I just said. Um, where are you at with what kind of events would be to look for there? And of course, I guess that sort of necessitates make, taking some sort of stand on what you think the covenant is. And maybe the best, better question is to go back and talk about what do you think about the peace agreement situation that's going on? Or uh, various so any anything in that ballpark you want to hit? All right. Well, in the relative, I'm super excited for those who will benefit, who all parties. And I get, you know, for every time we say that, there's always a, yeah, but, you know, we see what, we know what's coming and all that. You know, it's a false piece and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to hang it on that. I, I truly believe that we are seeing a president whose number one gift is how to make deals, and that is economically. He, I don't know if he knows it overtly, but he certainly, he cuts through all the disagreements and says, let's build an economic unity first, and that's going to solve a lot of problems for folks. And he is a master it sure looks like he is a master at being able to do that. Uh, I just heard, or when it first came out with the UAE, I heard him mention at the end of that clip on YouTube, he, goes, he said, uh, there are others coming. And he said, and I was getting phone calls from people who said, you were first, I wanted to be first. And so it's obvious there's other, other countries ready to sign on. Uh, and I think I spoke of a couple of weeks or last week uh, where you've got Serbia and Kosovo coming together after whatever that mess was. That was the most confusing war to me ever. Uh, gosh. Uh, so they're, they're coming together. I guess what I was looking for is based on what you've taught about mystery Babylon, and that is the exponential growth economic growth of Israel and that due to I guess expecting it to be organic 
spreading across the region and ultimately the world and facilitating the migration of people through rails that are set up, through uh, transport, all types of transportation, not in, initially not in the, uh, uh, with the view that it is for some type of worship, but I think what we're going to see is a lot of infrastructure put in place and it will just naturally be used for the migration of the world to uh, come pay homage. So to to recap for maybe people. uh, So yeah, the, the mystery Babylon idea that when the antichrist after, you know, whenever he does sort of require the worship of the world, uh, mystery Babylon, his capital city is, uh, becomes wealthy as a result of that worship. People sell, I mean, all the items that are brought to it and the merchants sell to it are uh, things that are needed for particularly uh, ritual sacrifice as I detailed in the book, Mystery Babylon or whatever. But it, but it's, in my view, a, a false millennial kingdom because in the millennial kingdom, that exact same thing happens. People from all over the world make pilgrimages to the city. And so uh, as Bob is saying here, that would require a ton of infrastructure. So you're saying that you see this as a sort of precursor because they would need to start to build that infrastructure and then the Antichrist would sort of come alongside and sort of use it whenever he does uh, do that. It's an interesting take. Well, and I'm sure you follow John Howler uh, or have heard of him maybe. I've heard of him. I don't follow him. I'll check Okay. He, he does a really good news gathering uh He's on YouTube. Uh, he and one point he brought up last week was he was saying, "Look, mystery Babylon," and he, I don't believe he thinks Jerusalem is it, uh, but uh, he was trying to make the point that settle down, people. Uh, now he does think we are near something happening, but he was like, "Mystery Babylon," you know, you have to temper your enthusiasm for stuff happening because it took Dubai like 10 years and he showed satellite imagery of the city being built up into this megaopolis thing. And I just wanted to go, ah, that's not, that doesn't necessarily have to be mystery Babylon. It's mystery. Babylon is the center of all those transactions and wealth and the worship and all that. But it doesn't necessarily mean skyscrapers and how we define. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I doesn't think, have to look like New York City. You right, know what I, I mean? People want it to be the center of all all commerce and all whatever, period. They want it to be yeah. the center of everything ever. It's not. It's just the place that people go to worship the image of the beast as required by the false prophet or die. Have you seen the uh, presentation? It's the pre-wrath guys, Hunt's, uh, what is it called? Oh, oh well. They, uh, it's Marvin Hunt's organization down in Orlando. and Oh, Marvin Rosenthal. Rosenthal. What am I, Marvin Hunt? He's David Hunt silver. and Marvin, Marvin, yeah. <laughs> He's the guy who capitalized on silver. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rosenthal. Uh, he, uh, it's his organization, and they will have pretty good presentations on things that are happening geographically. And uh, yeah, Zion's Hope, yeah, Zion's Hope, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I've followed them for like twenty years, and uh, so 
they they had like an hour presentation on agreements and infrastructure that were already being put in place between Israel and somebody down on the Gulf. Typically, not knowing anything, we would just assume everybody's their enemy over there. But they were already making agreements with like Jordan and other people to have airspace, rail, cargo, and essentially it would circumvent having to, you know, uh, deal with the Straits of Hormuz and Iran being able to shut that down. Mm -hmm. And it essentially would give them a port to move massive amounts of stuff or people. And to me, I just saw it as just another thing that is going into place because they've already got agreements with Cyprus to move natural gas and oil to feed Europe. They've got two massive gas fields that they don't even touch uh, because they use less than 1% of their own natural resources. Uh, so, and I try the things I try to bring up to people are try to think critically about whatever somebody says, even myself. Examine it because for the last thirty years we've all we've seen all the books on the next war is going to be fought over oil. Well, if it is, it isn't because there's a shortage of it, because the Earth is just googling out oil by the trillions. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, they yeah. discover it. They discover natural gas or oil every week. More yeah, the, and abiotic oil theory. Yeah. So uh, there's just a lot of stuff happening over there. Uh, there was, there was a, oh, going, jumping back to one of the factors of what kind of woke me up was just the, the rediscovery, I'll say, of what I consider truth. And that is like, the location of the true temple. I don't think the Temple Mount is the temple, the original temple. I think it's that City of David mm-hmm. uh, crook, little crescent shape. Yeah, uh, I've heard that theory. I've heard, I've heard different sides of it. I don't really have a strong opinion on it. But the debunking the I heard of it sounded pretty solid at the time, but I didn't go it's through it. That's where the Gihon Spring is, where the, and there's no water on the Temple Mount, no water. Uh, so there's, and I've tried to examine them all and I felt comfortable, you know, changing my view there. Uh, I'll say this, I have seen a, I see a tendency that God always presents a truth through somebody who can be easily be debunked on the surface. Like that guy's a kook or this or that. And, the uh, the Ron Wyatt stuff. You send somebody to his website, and they're going, "This guy. It looks like somebody in their garage designed this website. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't look professional, and yet he provides the original evidence of Saudi Arabia and all that, where Mount Ararat is, and all that kind of stuff that Joel Richardson repurposed a couple of years ago. And thank goodness he did. I mean, it was really well done." Mm-hmm. Uh, disagree with a lot of other stuff he says, but uh, there's just been a lot of stuff like that pushed out on the table in the last couple of years that I just thought, Oh, that's interesting. How about this? Oh, wow. Right. Well, I mean, I tend to, I mean, I look at that stuff and I think, 
good. I mean, obviously, I, I, I agree with the Saudi Arabia Sinai thing. It just seems too too perfect. I didn't. I I haven't spent a lot of time in the debate between him and Heiser on the issue, but it, it didn't look like uh, Heiser had a very strong argument at that point. Um, but that's just my uh, very brief uh, understanding of it. But I look at a lot of that stuff as I'm, I'm very careful to not rejoice on some of it because I know that it's going to, if I'm even like 45% right about my theory of the Antichrist, then all that stuff is going to be used against us. So the Ark of the Covenant gets found. Christians rejoice. Hey, look at the Ark of the Covenant. Can you believe it? Look at how this completely proves the, uh, the critical theorists wrong. And, 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 and we've now proven that God exists right? Well, it's that all that's going to do is, is start the whole thing. And because that yeah. I read the end times as a world that believes that God exists, the Jewish God, Yahweh exists. He's in the temple. He's declared himself to be God higher than, than the other gods, specifically those two words, higher than all the Greek gods. It's, you know, the temple God is better and, and stronger and better than all the other gods of the world. And so, yeah, it looks like the whole world is going to be forced to believe in our God, except a weird sort of Jehovah's Witness kind of version of it, you know? And so, yeah, those kind of things being found are good. And of course, I do rejoice in everything like that and pray for those things to happen so that I can build my faith and, and bring others into the faith. But it's just always tempered with that little bit of, I know Satan's probably the one that's actually hiding. I, I will caveat, the ark stuff I don't consider... There's too much speculation there. Oh, no, to... no, I don't actually have a theory on where it is. Yeah, I, yeah. And I actually have no real reason to believe that it will be found, other yeah, than right. the fact that I can't imagine a temple being rebuilt without it. And, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and my reading of the Olivet Discourse is that the false prophets and false Christs, plural, seem to suggest in a lot of the things that of course happen, building a temple, starting the daily sacrifices again, uh, uh, people so concerned about the Sabbath that, that it's going to inhibit it, people inhibit people's uh, uh, fleeing when it happens, that that all speaks of an incredibly uh, religious Israel at the time of this happening, the the false price and fa false Christ and false prophets plural seem to suggest that at the very beginning there is massive messianic expectation. If I'm right about the covenant being made with many, essentially being the ribbon cutting of the daily sacrifices starting again, then and, and without an actual declaration of Messiah at that point, I don't feel like, or maybe they have, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. But one thing is for sure, there will be great messianic expectations uh in israel at that time higher than it's probably yeah. ever been and i'm sure that they will see lots of signs and portents and whatever you know you start to see that now of course you've always seen that um there's always messianic expectations to some degree in israel but you know what i mean yeah yeah so uh go ahead go ahead. well where do you see that first three and a half years do you see israel just from where they are here, you know, assuming, assuming this was day one of the 70th week or, you know, back up a couple of weeks and they appear to be who they are as we see them right now. 
do you see that first three and a half years as being just a ramping up or do you see any initial conflict and destruction on Jerusalem or Israel in the first half prior to somebody coming to their aid and ultimately becoming their Messiah? Well, I think that if you take two premises, Daniel 11, 40 through 45 is speaking of the Antichrist, which as far as you know, virtually every conservative scholar believes. By that point, you can make some suggestions about maybe it's Antiochus before this point or whatever, but by the time you get to verses 40 through 45 of Daniel chapter 11, everybody pretty much agrees we're no longer talking about Antiochus anymore. This is the same guy that Daniel has had his eye on throughout his entire writings. So premise one, 11, Daniel 11, 45 is the Antichrist. That, that is to say, those wars are fought by the Antichrist. Second thing is, if, the, if it is true that the last words of Daniel 11, 40, 40, 45 says, he comes to his end and no one will help him. Kind of out of nowhere. He, he, yeah. he basically is completely victorious. He's defeated every single enemy in battle without even a, a, a breaking a sweat, it appears. It, he sets up his tents uh, between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, his, his palatial tents, which uh, can mean a lot of different things. I don't know. He either encamps his armies around or, or sets his HQ up either in Jerusalem. It's hard to read what's happening there between the seas in the glorious holy mountain or between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. In any case, it's in Israel, very close to Jerusalem, is where he plants his palatial tents. He, he defeats everybody, plants his palatial tents, and then comes to his end. Okay? If the next premise is in Daniel 12.1, chapter breaks are irrelevant, right? Daniel 12.1, at that time, so you have your, your timing verse. You can't separate the last verse from this verse. It's, it's at that time, which yeah. time? Daniel, when he came to his end, and no one will help him. At that time, Michael will stand up, the prince of your people, and there will be a time of distrust such as never been since the nation until this time, which both the word tribulation there in the Greek and the Septuagint and the unparalleled persecution verse are what virtually everybody agrees Jesus was talking about in the Olivet Discourse when he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand there will be a time of trouble since it has never been since blah, blah, blah. Whatever he says, it's a little bit different, but it's basically saying the same thing. So if what we know of is the Great Tribulation, everybody agrees. The Great Tribulation, capital G, capital T, occurs after the midpoint. It, it, it's, it, it begins at the abomination of desolation, which means that it, all those things, I believe, are unbreakable chain of, of custody. You have the wars being fought. You have the Antichrist dying, resurrecting, then the midpoint. He goes into the temple, declares himself to be God, then the persecution, which means that the, the wars have to happen in the first three and a half years. Yeah. And I think I can, I think there's, I'm going to, interview somebody that I think is going has a key to this. He mentioned, I was at a, filming something for Alan Kirshner uh, the other day uh, at a, a conference in a, in a, not a conference, but a debate in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I talked to somebody there that had an interesting piece of the puzzle. So I'm going to talk to him about it, but, but taking that aside, I think that the logical reason that the wars begin is because of that 
covenant being made with many, which I can argue strongly has to be, well, I can say, I'll say it almost certainly has something to do with the daily sacrifices starting. The covenant being made with many, I believe, number one, it's a pre-existing covenant. It's not a new covenant out of anywhere. That's why so many Bible translations translate it as making a firm covenant or making strong a covenant or some interesting language that basically means this covenant already existed in the past. He just makes it firm. But what does the next line say? But in the middle of the week, he brings an end to sacrifices and offerings. As if the reader has already presumed, this is the same thing that Daniel has mentioned earlier in which the sacrifices get stopped at the, the middle and everything. So it's almost as if it, it under, the reader is supposed to understand that the sacrifices begin at the, at the very beginning. All that to say that geopolitically, as you say, well, what does that look like in Israel right now? Well, if you did the thing that all Jewish people really want to do, which is to say, plop a temple down and start sacrifices again so they can have atonement again uh, under their understanding of, 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 of atonement. They can't do that because of the Dome of the Rock and a war begins. Everybody comes against the, them at that point. And that's why I think it says in Revelation 13, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who can make war with the beast? That is to be understood as these people believe as, as the mystery Babylon sits on the beast, believing that she has a husband, believing that she is no longer a widow, that she has found this, this protector that says, you can build the temple because you, you know what I can do. My God of fortresses, or you know, whatever, his, his, he is unable to be defeated in battle or whatever it is, supernatural, or I don't know, whatever he can do with warfare. So in other words, he starts the daily sacrifices. What the inevitable then, of course, happens. Assyria comes at, uh, after him, defeated. Egypt comes after him, defeated. He then makes a mop-up of the specific nations that the Bible says that the real Jesus will, will defeat in the real end times as he creates greater Israel, the Israel that was promised to Abraham, uh, that that's, Israel's never really taken the full amount of that land. He then completely wipes the whole slate clean, does what no one has done before. What the reason that they said Jesus isn't the Messiah, he didn't defeat the Romans and create greater Israel. Where's, where's the guy doing that? That's the guy that will declare Messiah. He does it. He completes it. He sits his, uh, sets his, uh, finishes it up at Israel. And the, as I've said before, the, the Talmudic scholars, Rashi, Naimonides, you know, the, the, they, they envision this moment in Daniel 11. They don't see it as the Antichrist. They see that Daniel 11 guy as the Messiah. They call him Messiah ben Joseph. They recognize that he dies at that moment, but he must resurrect because of that same thing that we talked about, the Daniel 12 problem. So they have come up with a theory that he dies and is resurrected by another Messiah called Messiah ben, uh, did I say David? David. or Joseph is the first one. David, David is the one that resurrects him. Anyway, all that to say that I'm not reading this death resurrection thing out of nowhere. And of course, that ties in yeah. with all the death resurrection. They worship the beast because, not just because he could, who can make war with him, but because his mortal wound was healed. And so that informs his de declaration to be God in the temple, and then, of course, the forcing everybody to worship him and get the mark and, and all the rest of that stuff that goes on. So long answer to your question. I think that first three, three and a half years is the, the covenant, i.e., let's start sacrifices again, the war, and final sort of 
closing up that thing. If you talk to a Jewish person right now and say, what are you looking for in the end times, besides the obvious starting of the Messianic kingdom, is what, what, what precedes the starting of the Messianic kingdom? Well, they'd be kind of like us, and they'd say, well, they wouldn't say Armageddon. What they would say is Gog Magog. If you ask a Jewish person, what's the end times like? Oh, you mean Gog Magog. That's, that's their equivalent to the end times, is Gog Magog. And so they, they see it as a necessary precursor to the Messianic age. And so what the Antichrist is doing cleverly in Daniel 11 through 40 through 45, remember, he's the defensive guy. Everybody attacks him. Assyria attacks him. Egypt attacks him. They come against him, and he defeats them. It's the fake Gog Magog war. Yeah. So anyway, I've said that a million times, but I guess just one more wouldn't hurt. <laughs> well, when it's easy to cloud the picture when I'm consuming so much because I, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying there. I consume so many things that sometimes I, I need to reset and go, wait a second. Uh, this is, this is what I'm expecting to happen next. Now, some of the crazy stuff that's just come out in the last couple of days is our own Secretary of Defense came out and made a declaration that of China and, and Russia were now in space with directed energy weaponry, as mm. we are, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, I've never been one to try to take something from scripture and modernize it like, well, when they say calling down fire, it's really a laser. And I, I mean, it could be, I guess, but the lasers I saw certainly terrifying that now without any evidence whatsoever, you can start a forest fire in a country mm -hmm. with no evidence of uh, where it came from. Uh, you could kill someone and leave no evidence and all that, but still there is, we're talking about stationary targets. You know, you want to, you want to burn a hole through a building set on fire. You do that. But That's I think, I think whatever this guy's got, it's going to make that, this stuff look like, you know, toy, tinker toys. What's up? It's demonic. I never thought about it like that, the uh, directed energy for, for that. But I, I think that's a good point. And I feel like somebody mentioned the other day that I came up with this Antichrist checklist where I had all these things that the Antichrist is supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And then um, somebody had said, well, what about the signs and wonders that he does? And it says, it does say specifically signs and wonders are associated with, with his reign or his coming or something like that, not to him directly. And it was qu a question like, does he himself have any miracle working ability or does he, or is it just the false prophet who does it? Cause it says that the false prophet does those miracles on his behalf. Yeah. In other words, uh, so it could be the signs and wonders in, I can't remember how that verse is, is worded, but it certainly seems to suggest it's, it's his uh, cabinet, if you will, his, his, uh, you know what I mean? Um, but no, I think the false prophet is, is in, it makes me think, you know, with the resurrection of the Antichrist, I have a good, I have a good uh, explanation for that because of First or Second Thessalonians two, which seems to suggest that the great uh, uh, deception is, or how does it word it? I should just pull it up, but that it's God that does it in order that they might believe the lie. 
yeah. he sends a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, i.e. Yeah. the greatest lie of all time, that this guy is the guy and you should worship him. And God allows that through his power. He sends a strong delusion, which I uh, and others have. Uh, there's a paper out, Can Satan Raise the Dead, towards a biblical view of the beast's wound. But the rest of it is, can what other demonic powers does Satan have? And I would say, well, I mean, he's got a bunch of demons in the unseen realm that have been tricking Satanists forever and ever and ever to think that they have all kinds of powers. So he can do supernatural things that at least appear supernatural to us because he's got a host of demons. But I wonder what the extent of his power is, but I'm sure we'll find out uh, exactly what the answer to that is. And the reason I brought that up is the speed of war nowadays is nothing like what we've thought of in the past where, you know, there's troops on the ground for months and a buildup and all this stuff. I mean, stuff just, we now fight our wars with small units mm -hmm. and uh, it's kind of, and, and if you think back when I was a little kid, I barely remember seeing news clips or I, I should say, even I would still be looking at news clips that are five or six years old of the Vietnam war. And it would say, you know, 2,000 were killed, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. that I mean, we haven't had 2,000 killed in, like, 10 years. You know what I mean? So it is real news when we lose one or two soldiers nowadays versus old warfare where, you know, 50,000 were killed in the, you know, in this protracted engagement. Mm. Uh, all those wars of the Antichrist I don't expect would take hardly any time at all. I mean, it really will be a steamroll. It's interesting because you say it like that because I, I've I've tried to think of that. Like, what does what does having some kind of supernatural or technological advantage in warfare now to achieve the kinds of defeats that he has? Because it seems rather conventional. So the question is, what where is nuclear weapons in this? Because if it was so serious, then that's all that would be the end of the situation. Yeah, so I think that I think that he has a, a card that he can play. Uh, that that neutralizes nuclear weapons yeah. uh, to some degree, that they are, are not whatever. They're taken out of the equation somehow, whether that means we all come down a notch in, in that situation or he has a an ability to to make that irrelevant or the world finds a way to make it irrelevant. But I think that, the, the, as you say, the, the sort of speed of war uh, and the, the nature of technology these days is such that um, – you know, if you came up with a, a a breakthrough advantage militarily that was just so significant, you could rule the world. And it would have to be it would have to be nuclear weapons. The, re the reason why nobody dies in wars these days because nobody wants to make anybody that mad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Let's just not make them that mad because because we can't risk that. No one can risk it. Um, but if that's no longer on the table for some reason, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes i suppose um yeah so i guess we're getting uh i want to save as much i, I hope that you want to uh come back and try this again sometime and maybe yeah. a regular thing so i don't want to waste all our good uh good talking points <laughs> um so i guess i'll just sort of end with uh what else is going on in terms of things that you've been interested in lately anything that you uh just sort of have at the forefront or anything whether that be politics, the fall of the Republic or Bible prophecy or anything else like that? Yeah. I mean, 
most of it is politics now uh, and how it relates to what we expect to see in the next three months. Uh, but just some loose ends. I was trying to write down some loose ends that you know, I think I mentioned. I, I'm still holding out that there is not a different interpretation, but a secondary interpretation of the 62 and seven weeks. I just think there's more than adding those two together. I just don't get why it would be presented that, oh, you just add them up at 69 weeks and then there's one more week to go. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I certainly believe that is true in representing a jubilee, but I think there is a parallel perspective that we don't have revelation to yet that we will somewhere down the line. I just, you know how you can look at things and go, I expect to find a diamond in there. I just can't see it yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of those. Are you talking about the, the, the Daniel nine situation? Yeah. The, yeah the, the, the 69 weeks in the last 70th week. It's split up as 62 and seven. Well, you, and, that's kind of one of the things that I'm going to interview this guy about. Okay. Uh, it's something about that. Yeah. So. And so, and other things I just think about is, because this stuff comes from everywhere except mainstream Christianity for the most part in the last 10 years, I guess the most progress has come from what I call divine nobodies. Uh, There's, it just makes me think, is there some guy in Yugoslavia that's got a piece of the puzzle that we don't have yet because he doesn't speak English or whatever, you know, and that's what I'm fascinated by is the body of Christ out there that is doing the same thing we are trying to do and gather the evidence and we're looking, you know, and it's fuzzy and we're just trying to focus the picture and where are they out there? And it sounds like you've discovered a couple of guys from the uh, debate. Yeah, week. yeah. And I think they're people. So that's fantastic. That, you know, I, I, that's a thing, too. I think it's people that he didn't do a podcast or write any books or anything else. He's just a guy who, who got bitten by this bug, you know. He's this, this thing he couldn't let go of, you know, and, and, yeah. and did did as much work as anybody doing a research on a book or whatever, you know, maybe I'm talking them up too much. I don't know, but, but the, but the point is you're right. And I think that is what I think this podcast should do and what, if it can serve a purpose uh, for future generations as well, I think it's, it's important to not let it devolve into content for the sake of content or somebody, I mean, maybe somebody has got a new book out, I guess, but not just because they got a new book, you know, it has to be something that adds something. And with the goal of like, and I want to do it in terms of, I am completely ready to change my mind, you know, and I'm, that's, gonna, I'm going to push my position. Yeah. I'm ready to change. You until know? you need to pivot. And I was thinking about today, the people that end up on television and they're bound by some type of contract to deliver content on a regular basis. What a curse that becomes because what I found was 
you know, if I've got nothing to say, I'm not going to throw a podcast out there for th- <laughs> until three weeks or four weeks later. And I'm sorry, but yeah. why would anybody want to hear something if I'm not, if I've I, got nothing to show? I honestly think more, Hallenzy did more damage to prophecy because of his TBN show that came on every whatever it was. <laughs> That he had to say, you know, news story, Russia has some missiles, and uh, here's the thing about that, and then it's maybe, whatever, talk a little bit about Gog Magog and whatever. It trained everybody like, you know, Erdogan's the Antichrist and all that. It's like, mm-hmm. and again, I've tried to say, let me tell you, whoever the leader of those nations are going to be a role player, they are going to be a major actor or a component of it. But just because that guy's in the seat right now doesn't mean squat because he could be gone overnight. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just like New York City, maybe it comes back, but it sure has taken a licking. And it, it, all those people who wrote books about New York City's Mystery Babylon and all that, you know, well, yeah, not I only think, was it yeah, not no, based right. on anything, but it may I'm not even the be new- there. The new crop is going to be BLM something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I better get, get on that book right now. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take it. They'll get to do all the conferences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, so, yeah, socialism is the – it's always been that way. It was I, – I, I kind of – I mean, we all grew up in different sort of phases of it. But anyway, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll save some of this for next time. Let's yeah. do it again real soon. Uh, I'll send you some emails, and we'll get together. But uh, yeah. I love it, and uh, we'll talk to you later. I just really appreciate it.